Good morning, everyone. Our presentation today is Trust Pregnant People by Johanna Hatch. Johanna Hatch, she, her, has been a member of Prairie for approximately nine years, has taught RE, and is a member of the choir. She has served as the president of Pregnancy Options Wisconsin, Education Resources and Support Incorporated, also known as POWERS, since its incorporation in 2020, and will be retiring from the role at the end of June. POWERS is a full-spectrum pregnancy support network based on the principle of trusting pregnant people as the authority over their lives and bodies is committed to the principles of reproductive justice. Welcome, Johanna. Thank you, Barb, and thank you all for letting me talk about um, powers and the work that we do. Um, as I am kind of, this is my farewell tour as I finish up with this role. So um, we'll be talking today about our principle of trusting pregnant people while taking a review of the rights, restrictions, and criminalizations of pregnant people in the state of Wisconsin, particularly now that we are at about um, one year at the anniversary of the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe versus Wade and recriminalized abortion care in the state of Wisconsin. So what does trust pregnant people mean? Powers is a group started as a group of volunteer physicians, midwives, doulas, educators, and activists who organized around the principles you see here. We recognize that pregnancy is among the most significant and life-changing experience that human beings can have. We believe that pregnant people know how best to respond to their pregnancies, and they have an absolute right to the full spectrum of options. And we are committed to assisting all pregnant people in our state to access whatever support, information, services, and clinical care that they need to act upon those decisions. Um, we are not affiliated with any other um, organizations, any political groups, or any religious groups. Um, you'll notice, uh, just a quick word on um, some language that we use, you'll notice that we avoid words like patient and provider because we believe these terms may perpetuate systemic inequalities and imply that health agency and authority belongs to experts. We believe that this belongs to the pregnant person. We are also committed to using the language of pregnant persons or pregnant peoples because we, while we recognize that there is a, often a gendered aspect to the restriction of reproductive rights that falls on women and is tied to the historical patriarchal oppression of women, we do know that people who are not women do get pregnant, um, including transmasculine folks who still have their uteruses, um, people who are non-binary, as well as the horrible reality that um, children can become pregnant in certain situations. And so we wanna make sure our language is as precise as possible and as inclusive as possible. And then a little bit more about powers. This is a screenshot from our website. Um, as Barb mentioned, POWERS stands for Pregnancy Options Wisconsin Education, Resources, and Support. So you'll know now why I just we just abbreviate it to POWERS, because that's a mouthful. Um, one of our functions is essentially to serve as an alternative call line to what's known as crisis pregnancy centers um, or fake health clinics, essentially. 
Um, we have trained call line staff and volunteers, as well as a comprehensive website that provides information um, to like Wisconsin-specific resources for the full spectrum of pregnancy options in Wisconsin as well as information um, and support for how to access them. This includes information about how to access abortion care out of state, as well as vetted resources for self-managing an abortion. Um, our pregnancy continuation um, section includes information on all the legal options for birth attendance, birth settings, and full spectrum non-discriminatory options for adoption. Pregnancy release includes all medical options, All yeah, all medical options for abortion and miscarriage, um, including options of me uh, medical management of miscarriage. So we have organized around the principle of reproductive justice. And reproductive justice is a philosophical framework um, that comes out of the lived experience of um, black women and black pregnant people, particularly in the Southeast United States. This quote here is from Loretta Ross, who um, is one of the original philosophers who developed this framework. Um, she is also the founder of the Sister Song Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective, as well as a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient. Um, so reproductive justice is about three interconnected sets of human rights. First of all, the right to have children, then the right to not have children, as well as the right to parent the children we have in safe and healthy environments. With the radical notion of trusting people, pregnant people, we like to frame our review of the rights, restrictions, and criminalizations of pregnant people in our state within this lens of reproductive justice. This is a critical framework because it can focus our lens on the inclusive concept of human rights, as well as on the systems within which pregnant individuals live and function. Family systems, food systems, justice systems, economic systems, transportation systems, healthcare systems, community, state, and national systems that can work to support, to restrict, or to dictate any single individual's rights and choices. The reproductive justice frameworks is broken down into these three kind of critical aspects, and we're gonna walk through each of them here. So when I talk about um, powers and our work and some of the ways that we connect people to support, of course we always want to include the right to have children and the right to decide where we give birth and who we have with us when we, we go through that process. So I always just want to make sure people are aware of the variety of legal attendance that we have, um, legal birth attendance we have in the state of Wisconsin. For folks that um, give birth in a hospital, they may be attended by a physician or a certified nurse midwife, which is um, also a professional path I have gone down. Um, and then folks may choose to give birth at home or a freestanding birth center, um, either with a certified nurse midwife or a certified professional midwife. Um, physicians may also legally attend people outside of the hospital, but at this time we do not know of any physicians who are offering um, out-of-hospital birth. Uh, and then certified professional midwives is always a category that I want to highlight. This is actually a picture of um, the midwife who attended the birth of Aurora, who is the tiny baby in that little sling there. Um, we um, chose Rachel as the attendant for Aurora's birth, and uh, Rachel is a certified professional midwife. And this is a credential that was not legally recognized in the state of Wisconsin until 2007. It is also a credential that is not legally recognized in all 50 states. 
So in Wisconsin, we are one of, I think, about 30 states now that will recognize this credential and allows these practitioners to practice legally. Certified professional midwives are, um, it's a credential that focuses specifically on community or out-of-hospital birth and includes extensive training in this area that physicians and certified nurse midwives do not have. And I say that as a nurse midwife who trained primarily in hospital birth. We do not have the level of training and expertise in community settings that a certified professional midwife would have. Um, to also note here that uh, self-attended birth or birth with an unlicensed attendant is kind of considered um, like a legal gray area in Wisconsin and is not specified as illegal. So pregnant people in the state may also choose those options. Um, and there are certainly people that do. Where we come down as an organization is we believe that all pregnant people deserve access to the full diversity of options for pregnancy and birth care, along with understanding the potential risks and benefits of every option. We trust pregnant people to make the best decisions for themselves and their pregnancies. And now we come to the part that I think a lot of people have on their mind on this one year anniversary of the Dobbs decision is the right to not have children and the right to abortion care. So in the state of Wisconsin, there is a criminal abortion statute that was written in 1849, so before Women had the right to vote um, before the Civil War. That is the legal framework that care providers are currently having to operate under. Um, this law was declared unconstitutional with, the, the, um, with Roe versus Wade in 1973, and therefore un unenforceable. Um, but with the Dobbs decision, this has um, left pregnant people in a vulnerable state to criminalization now that Roe versus Wade is overturned. And it essentially criminalizes healthcare practitioners who would assist people um, who are seeking abortion care. There are currently no clinics providing abortion care in Wisconsin. Um, the current, the way that this statute is currently being interpreted is that two physicians must certify that an abortion is required to save a person's life in order to legally perform it in Wisconsin. So this means if a person is sick but not dying, um, they may not legally be able to get an abortion. If a family is faced with a tragic outcome, such as a fetus that is no longer developing appropriately or has no chance of developing in a way that they will be able to survive outside of the uterus, that is not considered a legal abortion in the state of Wisconsin. Um, so it really puts care providers in a very, very difficult position to assist people who need this care. Um, and then the other piece of this is currently as the statute is written, it does not punish the pregnant person. The only people of criminal liability would be care providers who are providing abortion care. So while that's pretty stark um, and pretty terrible to think about, like this is what we are existing under currently in the state of Wisconsin, um, I also want to be really clear that prior to the Dobbs decision, when abortion was illegal in the state of Wisconsin, um, it was still wasn't that great. Um, we often use language that we, we say that Roe was the floor. Roe is kind of the bare minimum to ensure that people in every state had some avenue to access for legal abortion care. But the restrictions on abortion access in Wisconsin consistently led to confusion, 
delay, and inequities. These regulations are not evidence-based, nor do they make abortion safer. They only exist to add confusion and stigma. So just a few of these restrictions, um, and when I worked in abortion care, I mean, this was pretty much the reality of how we would have to treat patients. So the way the law is written in the state of Wisconsin is that there has to be a 24-hour minimum waiting period, which means two separate in-person visits to the clinic that provides the care. It doesn't mean that it has to be 24 hours between when you make your appointment and when you go, or you talk to somebody on the phone and then wait 24 hours. It is two in-person visits. And then often because of scheduling, um, physician availability, um, it would be more than 24 hours. That was just the reality of it. Um, if somebody came in on a Friday for their first visit, usually the earliest they could be seen would be Monday or Tuesday. There's an ultrasound requirement, and that means that every person seeking an abortion was required by law to have an ultrasound, and um, we were required to provide what's called a simultaneous oral description, which means whether or not that person wants to hear about it, we have to tell them any visible features that we can see, as well as cardiac activity, if it is present. Um, Wisconsin also enacted a gestational limit, which was intentionally confusing, and you can tell these laws are not written by anybody with any sort of medical training because they like to make up their own words and <laughs> the things that we don't operate under. So the gestational limit in the state of Wisconsin is 20 weeks post-fertilization. Pregnancy is not measured from fertilization. Pregnancy is measured from the date of the last menstrual period because that is the objective sign that we can say, that's where it goes from. We don't know when fertilization happens. People have different lengths of menstrual cycles and ovulate at different times. And it can be really, we, there's no way that a medical person can say, oh yes, fertilization happened at this moment. So by creating a law that put a limit post-fertilization, put care providers in a really difficult decision of having to work in a framework that does not exist in medicine. And so intentionally confusing meant that some places just said, okay, well, we're just not going to provide care past 20 weeks, LMP, or last menstrual period, because that's the thing we can mark for and they can't get us in trouble. And then other clinics said, well, fertilization usually happens about two weeks after the first day of the last menstrual period, so we can go to 22 weeks. There was no clear guidance from the state, and I believe that was intentional. Um, Wisconsin law also requires that a parent or adult family member provides consent for a minor under the age of 18. There is no coverage for abortion care through Badger Care or any plans that are sold on the state exchange. As well as there are laws that require a physician to provide this care, even though there is ample evidence that physician's assistants, nurse midwives, and other nurse practitioners can safely provide care in the first trimester, and they do in a number of states. So that kind of restriction also limits the number of potential providers who could provide this care. And another thing that we really focus on, on in Powers is the barriers to access. So even prior to Dobbs, with those restrictions in the state of Wisconsin, you could tell that it could be really difficult if you have to take two days off of work to go to two in-person appointments. If you live in a northern county and your closest clinic is maybe four hours away in Madison or Milwaukee, that's like a full day's work in addition to your appointment time and you have to do that twice. Um, and up here I just, I really like this graphic 
to illustrate some of the many like gaps in care as people try to just access what's really, really basic healthcare. Um, other things to think about would be if English is not your first language. If you don't have a car, how are you gonna get to the clinic? For some people, there are religious or spiritual practices which allow abortion within a certain time frame, um, which also can put pressure on them. Immigration status, if someone is fearful that, um, you know, if they, they don't know if the clinic is going to call ICE on them. Um, and any other number of restrictions that I haven't even thought of yet because I'm a white woman with money. Um, so at Powers, we seek to help bridge some of these gaps through our call line service, which I showed on an earlier slide. The call line exists, um, the call line is open Monday through Friday, nine to five. You, you will get a live person if you call, um, as well as they will respond to urgencies if a message is left in the evening or um, over the weekend. Um, and so through the call line, we have people who are there to provide education, resources, and support to abortion seekers in Wisconsin, as well as we have phone interpreters um, who can assist folks who do not speak English. Um, our call line is currently coordinated by Lexi Ware, who um, will be coming in as the president of Powers After Me. And so the work that she does is she can help people find a clinic, um, access the funds for appointment. She works closely with abortion funds in neighboring states as well as with the Women's Medical Fund here in Wisconsin to ensure that people have the funding they need for um, their appointments, as well as assisting them with transportation or lodging if they need it out of state. And so because abortion is illegal in Wisconsin, um, we are really grateful to our very nice neighbors in Minnesota and Illinois um, that have taken proactive steps to protect abortion rights and increase access to care. Um, Michigan also is work doing a lot of great work to enshrine this care, but we currently do not know of any providers like in the Upper Peninsula. So the majority of folks that we see are going to Illinois or Minnesota as our neighboring states. Um, when traveling out of state for abortion care, Wisconsinites can access funding from our local Wisconsin abortion fund, as well as regional partners in the states that they're traveling to. All of the um, abortion funds in our neighboring states have really stepped up to help ensure that people who are coming from states that are hostile to abortion, like Wisconsin, are still able to access the care that they need. And I just included kind of a brief overview of what the laws are like in our neighboring states compared to what our laws were like prior to the Dobbs decision. Both states um, do not have required waiting periods. If you make an appointment, you're gonna get the care you need that day. They do not require parental consent or notification for um, minors. Um, currently in Wisconsin, or excuse me, in Illinois, there is one clinic in Rockford that is providing medication abortion for um, early abortions prior to 11 weeks, um, as well as clinics in Chicago and some of the suburban communities. And in Minnesota, right now, the clinics are primarily in the Twin Cities, as well as one clinic in Duluth for folks who are in the northern part of Wisconsin. Um, this is another hot topic that I think people became really interested in after um, the Dobbs decision, which is self-managed abortion, which is essentially for people who do not have access to clinical care, usually in the first trimester of pregnancy, to receive the medications um, mifepristone, which is the little orange box, it's one pill, and misoprostol. 
These two medications together are what comprise of a medication abortion. So mifepristone is essentially a hormone blocker. It blocks the progesterone and stops the development of the pregnancy. And misoprostol is a medication um, that is used in a variety of ways in obstetrics, including medication abortion, because it causes the uterus to cramp down. Oh. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I get so excited and I'm really, I don't want to run out of time, <laughs> but I can do that. Um, so these two medications together are what the FDA have approved to provide um, medication abortion in the United States. So Wisconsin law does not state that taking pills on your own to cause an abortion is illegal. So an individual obtaining those pills and um, taking them themselves is technically, there's not anywhere in the Wisconsin law that says that act would be illegal. Wisconsin law does state that only physicians with special prescriptive privileges following a specific protocol can legally provide these pills, and that was prior to the Dobbs decision. Um, we know that in some states, people who have ended their own pregnancies have been arrested and charged with crimes. Some of those people were convicted and served time in jail, while some had their cases dismissed. Anyone who, quote, aids and abets a self-managed abortion can be held liable under the law. But sharing information, oh, but information may be shared about self-managed abortion, including how to access pills online. For example, you could give someone uh, the link to the Powers website for more information, or you could advise them to go to plancpills.org or aidaccess.org for more information on obtaining pills. And um, people can find really clear information on how to order those pills from reputable providers that have been tested. Um, so, but you may be held criminally liable if you hand somebody the pills. So, um, the last part, and I'll go unfortunately quickly through this, um, is the right to parent children in safe and healthy environments. So um, we, when we look at the right to parent children in safe and healthy environments, our society places much of the burden of guilt on the pregnant individual. When examining contributions to contributors to things like infertility, preterm labor, high blood pressure or hypertension in pregnancy, endocrine disorders such as diabetes, stillbirth, congenital defects, et cetera, in our healthcare system, insurance companies and researchers still focus solely on the pregnant individual. But using a reproductive justice framework, we see that our community, state, and national systems harm pregnant people and their children through things like restriction of access to pregnancy choices, restriction of access to the healthcare partners that they choose, Things as simple as safe food, safe water, housing, schools, workplaces, and neighborhoods. The impact of racism on pregnancy outcomes cannot be understated. Wisconsin is one of the states, as the state I think that has the highest level of disparity in pregnancy outcomes between white women, um, or white pregnant people, and black pregnant people. Those black people who give birth are much, much more likely to die or to lose their babies than a white person of a similar educational background, um, similar um, pre-pregnancy health status, and it really cannot be contri uh, contribute, you know, it can't be, oh, I can't think of the word now, connected to anything other than interpersonal and systemic racism. 
we are living in an imposed, oh, wait, yeah, we're living in an imposed climate of insecurity because of COVID and the climate crisis, and the rate of pregnancy and fetal complications have increased. A reproductive justice lens begs the question, who is the criminal and who should be held accountable? As just an example of one of the ways Powers is connected to this work, this is a picture of some Powers folks at the protest against the F-35 um, jets being brought to the Madison area very early on. We got involved in that because um, the, we know that the impact of PFAS or forever chemicals um, can be found everywhere in the human body, including the placenta and the breast milk. We know that PFAS threaten pregnant people and fetuses through increasing infertility, preeclampsia, which can be fatal, hypertension, lowered immunity and weakened responses to vaccines, um, negative impacts on child growth, learning and developmental effects, and endocrine disorders. So we um, also strive to connect those pieces of reproductive justice in our community as well. And then very briefly, this is a long slide, so I can answer questions or talk with you one-on-one -on -one if you'd like to learn more about this. But in Wisconsin, um, we have what's known as the Unborn Child Protection Act of 1977, which if um, essentially criminalizes and um, takes away the rights of a pregnant person if they are believed to have used drugs or alcohol during their pregnancy. Um, anyone can make a report pre-birth but reporting is not mandated by the state. But literally any professional or family member that somebody comes into contact with over the course of their pregnancy can report them. At which point the fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus is guaranteed legal, legal counsel and access to records, but the pregnant person is not. Um, social service workers are those who are most likely to make the report, followed by law enforcement. 72% um, of those arrested or detained are low income. 59% are um, black, indigenous, or people of color, with 52% are black. This act deters pregnant people from seeking and obtaining prenatal care and drug treatment, um, and all Wisconsin-based and national medical associations advise using non-punitive, confidential, health-focused care rather than incarceration. And so briefly, um, uh, Tammy's story, we don't have a lot of time to go into it, the documentary about her is called Personhood, and it looks at um, basically the story of one woman who um, had um, drug addiction, attempted to get clean during her pregnancy, told her care providers that she needed help, and instead of help, she was incarcerated, um, and did not receive access to appropriate prenatal care or appropriate drug treatment. So very briefly, we'll wrap it up. I just like to give quick action. Um, vote, everybody always is telling you to vote. We saw the impact of voting um, this past April um, when a pro-choice justice was elected to the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. And it is likely that the 1849 abortion ban will be coming before that body in August. So that's a great example of the power of your vote. Um, you can contact your legislators um, just any time reminding them that Act 292 does cause harm to pregnant people. We hope that someday that will be overturned. At the federal level, there is currently a bill called the Support Women's Health Protection Act um, that is active in both the House and Senate. 
Um, and we would encourage you to support your local abortion fund and powers. And um, just a reminder that um, we also believe in busting the stigma and silence around all pregnancy outcomes um, as well. So I'm ready for questions. So the, um, the 1849 law is currently working its way through the state court system. The suit was brought by uh, Attorney General Josh Call. And it will, as far as I know, that's the only update I know of, is that it will likely become come before the state Supreme Court in August or around August. Um, and then how do people in Wisconsin obtain those medications? So essentially, you order them online through a prescriber. So aidaccess.org is one that is based um, in the Netherlands. Um, it can take a little while longer to get it to Wisconsin, but you basically fill out a form online and they will mail you the pills along with instructions and aftercare instructions for how to reach um, their physicians if you have any complications or concerns. Um, those medications are incredibly safe. They're safer than Tylenol. The rate of complications from using those medications is very, very low. Um, you can also go through plancpills.org. There are not many other providers who can mail directly to Wisconsin, but they have very clear instructions on that website for how to go through a provider, say, in a neighboring state like Illinois or Minnesota, and um, how to use, utilize mail forwarding systems, where essentially you get a temporary PO box um, in the state of your choice, the pills are mailed there, and then that provider forwards the pills to you in Wisconsin. Can also take some time. Aidaccess.org does also allow for what they call advanced provision, which you can basically say, I'm not pregnant, but I live in Wisconsin, and I'm worried about what will happen, and they'll send you pills ahead of time. Um, Aidaccess is about $110, I believe, and other providers, it varies. I think that's such a perfect example of those structural inequities that are baked in that we can't even see sometimes. And then also, like, how wild is it that we in the United States, where there's such an active movement to criminalize abortion care, is does not have any guarantee of parental leave in order to ensure that those babies get off to a safe and healthy start. Um, we don't have an explicit stance on the de decriminalization of all drug use, but we do know um, we have started to explore taking a stronger stand on um, the carceral state and incarceration and how that impacts the ability of people to get the care that they need because it's pretty clear that um, the criminalization of drug use has allowed us to infringe on the, not only people's personal rights, but have really terrible health outcomes for those pregnancies because people don't have access to appropriate care. Well, thank you. Thank you.